to, uh, I'd like to start by welcoming you again to RUF. I'm thankful that you guys are all here. Um, if you're visiting us for the first time, I'm thankful. And if it's your like hundredth time coming to RUF, I'm also thankful that you're uh, here tonight. Uh, last week, Calvin filled in. Uh, he was, uh, he goes to Christ Church. He's like our uh, assistant to the pastor, is how he put it last week. Um, and he's also had my job last, uh, last year, but we're picking back up tonight. He talked about the parables. Tonight we're going to pick back up in uh, chapter 8, uh, 4 through 15 of Luke. We're going to uh, keep doing the parables. Um, it's printed in your bulletin. It's also going to come up behind me. Um, tonight's parable actually comes at the tail end of a flourishing ministry. Jesus has been healing people. Uh, you know, one uh, person is actually like raised from the dead. Lots of like fame is spreading about Jesus across uh, all of the region and people are following him. Uh, he's gaining a lot of notoriety as a teacher and as a healer. And of course, in true Jesus fashion, as everybody wants to like come and like praise him, he just like challenges everybody. Uh, he does this thing, he does this by telling the crowd a story about a sower who sows seed upon four different kinds of soil, each of the soils receiving the seed differently based on like the state of it, right? The seed, uh, Jesus tells us in verse 11, is the word of God. And we can infer from verse 12 that the soil is the human heart. So the spiritual significance of this like simple story is essentially God's word comes to different people's hearts. And the state of their heart is actually going to determine uh, whether or not they can receive God's word. Right? whether or not they can receive uh, the message of the Bible. Um, it's worth noting that when Jesus uses this word heart, right? you're going to hear that a few different times in the passage. When he says the term heart, we probably would hear something like, like the seed of our emotions, right? like this thing that like, you, know, you have my whole heart, you mean like you have my like, affections or whatever. But when Jesus says uh, the word heart, the ancients, uh, when they said the word heart, they didn't mean like uh, just your emotions, in fact, the heart is actually the seat of our emotions, yes, but it's also the seat of our will. It's also the seat of um, our, our whole being, right? It's, uh, it's who we truly are. It's our emotions, it's our will, and it's our thoughts, right? So we normally think like our brains are where our thoughts happen and our heart is where our emotions happen and our gut is where like our will happens. But they would combine all of those things and say your heart is really like what drives you and guides you. That's who you really are. Um, and Jesus is going to say uh, that the condition of your heart, the condition of who you really are, is going to determine whether or not you're able to fully receive God's word. So the question Jesus is asking of his audience, and by virtue of the fact that we're reading the same passage like us tonight, it's our big question. Uh, what's the condition of your heart? What's the condition of this, this deep part of you? Uh, what's your deepest desire, uh, both in your thoughts, in your affections, in your actions, uh, what has captured your devotion? That's our big question for the evening. What is the condition of your heart? We're going to answer that as we look through the passage. Let's find it out by reading Luke 8, 4 through 15. And when a great crowd, crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow a seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell on the, uh, the thorns, and the thorns grew up and with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil 
and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples are going to have like an interlude with him, but I'm going to skip that uh, just for sake of brevity. We can talk about that. You can text me about that, but we're going to keep moving in through the parable. Um, Jesus says uh, in verse 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then this devil, then the devil comes and takes away the word of the, from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no roots. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Uh, let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for this passage. Um, thank you for uh, teaching us about our own hearts, um, telling us, uh, because honestly, the heart is deceitful among all things. Um, it's hard for us to know our own hearts and ambitions and desires. Um, Lord, I pray that as we read through these various uh, accounts of what our hearts are like, um, that you would convict us if we need convicting, but also um, encourage us if we need encouraging. Um, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so remember our big question, right? Our big question for the evening is, what's the state of your heart, right? What's the condition of your heart? Uh, let's start uh, in verse 5 where Jesus starts his parable. Uh, look with me there. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. So Jesus starts this whole passage off with a, like, an image of a bunch of seed getting uh, scattered along a path, right? Now, you'd think this might help the soil grow, right? You, like, stamp it into the ground or something, but Jesus says, no, all the soil gets crushed underfoot, and the stuff that doesn't get crushed birds come down and they eat the rest of it. So this, this seed has no chance, not even a small chance to get uh, germinated and grows not at all. And later in verse 12, Jesus explains the meaning of this scene. Uh, look with me there too. He says, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. This first type of person is somebody who hears God's word the message of God's you know, sacrificial love for us, his, his creation, and that he is sovereign over all of it, um, and he or she immediately rejects it. Uh, this heart has no room for, for this, the, these claims that God makes about himself. And, and maybe this can be for a variety of reasons. Jesus doesn't really tell us why this person like, immediately rejects uh, the word. Um, it's that like what their heart is saying or what they outwardly manifest as saying and maybe it's that they reject the idea that they're a sinner and need a forgiveness, or maybe they reject um, something that if they were to accept God, that he would require of them. Um, they don't want his lordship over their life or his authority. They reject his rules or his reign. Um, we don't really know what it is that they, they've heard. Maybe, maybe they think God's evil because of some hard thing that's happened in their past. Uh, we don't really know because uh, does, Jesus doesn't tell us, like, what it looks like to do this. Um, but whatever their reason, the hearts of such people reject God's word. That's, what, that's how Jesus describes them. And this is really our, our first uh, possible answer to our question tonight. What's the condition of your heart? Um, your heart can be closed. 
right? That's, uh, to put it simply, your heart can be closed spiritually to the truth of God's word. Uh, but the question then becomes, like, what creates these closed hearts, right? I, I said, like, they could have a bunch of different reasons for doing it, but we're told by Jesus that there is actually a deeper reason than anything that they would list. He says it's because the devil causes them not to believe and be saved. Uh, now, as I say that to a room full of college kids who, like, have studied science and stuff, we in the West have a very particular aversion to anything, like, supernatural. We tend to think that, like, demons and devil and, like, things that we can't see, measure, or understand, like, those things can't possibly exist. We have, like, a very big bias against that. Um, but the Bible thinks the devil is a very, very real person. Jesus talks about him like he is a real person who really... Um, a real figure, rather, uh, who really, really does exist and really does uh, cause people not to believe. And before we write off how the Bible, how this works, and that there's no devil, um, let me uh, depict how the devil works, and then we can actually get to know how the Bible talks about the devil. Um, One of the first times we ever actually encounter uh, Satan is in uh, Genesis uh, 3. Uh, We talked a little bit about this on our retreat, but in Genesis 2, God makes Adam and Eve, in, uh, Adam and Eve, in. Uh, God makes Adam and Eve uh, in the garden. He sets them up with everything they need. There's no reason for them to ever, like, feel unsafe or that God's not going to take care of them. They're there in the garden, and uh, we see in verse, verse 3, or sorry, chapter 3, that there's a, a serpent that's craftier than any other beast of the, of the garden. And it's, you know, a very strange uh, scene But then Satan says something to Eve that ought to catch our eyes. Um, In 3.5, he says this to Eve after God has said, don't eat of this tree of the fruit of uh, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. You can do anything else you want in this garden. I have complete and total control over everything. You're totally safe, but just don't eat of this tree um, or you'll die. And Satan says this uh, to Adam and Eve. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan promises Eve that if uh, she chooses her own path, if her and Adam choose their own path, they can be like God. They don't have to put their trust in him anymore. They don't have to trust him to be safe. They don't have to trust him to be for their significance. They don't have to trust him for anything. They have everything that, they, that they'll want. They'll be like him in that way. Um, they, can, they can get their own comfort, their own happiness, apart from him. Here's the problem, right? And you, you might have already noticed this. They already have it, right? Everything that Satan is promising them, they technically already have. You can be safe. You can be like God in the way that you have freedom. And you, It's like, um, hello, you have all of that stuff already. That's because Satan can't tempt you with anything that, like, isn't already yours in Christ. Um, but he does, he uses slivers of what's true to kind of try and get you to believe what he's telling you. And the, the reality is they take this bait, right? They say, Yes, I, I do like that idea of being free um, from God's rule, and um, they fall for it. They eat the fruit, and God's word of warning that they should have treasured in their heart is snatched away by Satan. Basically, exactly this kind of scenario that Jesus is painting in this, in this parable. A heart that is taken by Satan continues to believe the same lies that Adam and Eve believed. Um, that uh, the mantra of like a heart like this says... Um, no one has authority over me. I can make myself significant. I can make myself safe. I can make myself enough. That's, uh, this is the, the mantra of a spiritually closed person. 
they accuse God of not having their best interest, of being evil deep down, of having some sort of hidden agenda from them that's going to hurt them um, in the long run. He can't possibly expect me to live a certain way. I refuse. Um, and uh, honestly, I think probably the, the words that I hear most often for like a defense of this kind of lifestyle is like, it, among like our peers, is uh, it's college, man. You know, it's college, dude. This is the time. This is when you uh, are, you know, everybody drinks underage. Everybody hooks up. Uh, everybody takes a little Adderall to get the edge on the exam. You know, got to stay up late, got to study. Uh, this is just kind of like how it works, man. Um, and, and the thing is, uh, it, these, the spiritually closed person keeps shrugging off uh, that this, this sense that like it's not right. Um, and they say, by saying like, these rules are archaic, they're oppressive, um, and as long as I'm not hurting anybody, that's like what God understands. He like isn't going to judge me or condemn me um, as long as I don't hurt anybody. And the problem with that is that like Jesus here is exa- saying the exact opposite of this mantra, as long as I don't hurt anybody. He says, um, if you like will not come to him, you will not accept his word, um, you're like this seed that falls along the path. You produce no fruit um, because your trust is ultimately in yourself. And so anything that you do, even positively, is really just to glorify yourself. Um, you're ultimately just doing what's right in your own eyes. And God's word has no place in your heart. Uh, what's worse is like when, when this is the state of our hearts, when this is the state of your heart, um, you, it's, hard, it's really, really hard to see that like shirking God's authority actually just enslaves you to your own. Um, it enslaves you to your own uh, ways of getting your justification by sleeping with whatever girl or guy will make you feel better, um, even if that hurts that other person that you've made a promise that you can't actually uh, commit to. Um, it will push you to go to like what are the right parties so that you can feel more significant deep down um, and ignore that like creeping feeling that none of it matters um, And it might push you into just slaving over getting the right accolades and the right internships so that you can have the right comfort that you level that you want in your life. Um, It's a tough pill to swallow what Jesus is saying about these people, um, about a spiritually closed person. But if like we don't swallow it, if we like reject this outright, um, God is actually very content to allow you to to follow along the path um, to your selfish ambition, to your selfish ambition. He's, giving you the seed of his word, um, it's your soil. It's your prerogative to reject it. Um, and, and the sad thing is nothing would make Satan happier. Um, but what about those of us who do at least to some degree receive God's word, right? At some point, we receive God's lordship and love. Well, Jesus continues this parable in verse 6. Look with me there. Um, it says, And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Jesus is describing a, like a common phenomenon in Palestine. So Palestine is actually like a thin layer of topsoil that's over like a, like a very, very thick bedrock of limestone. And so when you would plant things, the only way to know that if your you know, topsoil actually has this, this limestone bedrock is to watch it grow for a little bit. And then when it got deep enough roots and it started to get big, it would need more moisture, like it would need more uh, water to sustain itself. And then it would end up dying because it couldn't get its roots deep enough into water. Um, and so this is what happens to this plant. As it grows, it actually needs more water and dies. Jesus explains the meaning of this image in verse 13. Look there. 
Look at uh, verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Just as the seeds that fell upon the uh, topsoil wither away from a lack of water, so also, like these people who initially receive God's word without a root, they fall away during a time of testing. To be rooted, then, is to endure testing, some sort of times of testing uh, without compromising God's love or his lordship. What are these times of testing? What does it mean that Jesus says, like, these people don't endure in the time of testing? Well, this same parable uh, actually shows up in Mark 4, and there Mark actually elaborates on on this exact uh, phrase, the time of testing. He says it's when tribulation or persecution arises. Now, the reality is that you're probably not going to directly experience persecution in the same way that like a lot of other like Christians might in the world, right? No one's probably going to behead you if you claim that Jesus is your Lord. They're not going to like, I don't know, threaten your friends and family uh, if you go to church, right? That's not really the kind of persecution that we face. Um, and that's surely some of what Jesus meant by this, right, is uh, that some people throughout time and history and Christianity are going to go through this. Um, but the way that uh, we probably experience it is maybe a rejection from a friend. I know some of you have already experienced this, that as you held fast to Jesus and his lordship and his and biblical truth, your friends rejected you uh, for the stance that you hold. Um, you know, increasingly, as our culture moves away from traditional biblical ethics, uh, we're going to find ourselves more and more in compromising positions with our friends, or at least we should, because they're going to start to see us as bigots and misogynists. Like, that's a, that's a, a term that's already thrown around uh, for Christians um, in, in some circles. And so, uh, and this is not like to raise the alarm or anything. Don't think I'm like, oh my gosh, the world's going horribly. Most people are not going to care one way or the other whether or not you believe in Jesus. But uh, occasionally they will. Um, and so that's kind of what we experience a little bit. And the reality is to compromise on our biblical commitments uh, for the sake of like social acceptance, um, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here, right? That uh, this seed that has a very shallow root, it's not rooted. When the trials and tribulations come, when people start saying, you know, you shouldn't believe that, they cave. They don't actually allow Jesus to be the Lord of their lives and they um, succumb to what other people think they should believe. And this is really our second possible answer to our question tonight. What's the condition of your heart? Your heart can be concerned with opinions of other people, right? Your heart can be concerned with others' opinions. Uh, to sum up this point, um, sum up to like where we've been right now. So Jesus says your heart can be closed or it can be concerned with other people. Closed or concerned with other people. My old seminary president, uh, his name is Brian Chapel. He likes to tell this story about uh, um, a man he went to seminary with named, um, oh shoot, what's his name? Randy, uh, Randy and Karen. Uh, Randy was going through seminary. Karen, his wife, worked for a uh, like a medical supplies company, and one day she was she like put him through school. Ran, like Randy's full time in school. Um, Karen is the only breadwinner in their family, providing for him and their kids. And uh, Karen has a good job, but one day Karen notices that a box uh, like a shipment of not just one box, a shipment of syringes. It's part of her job to like examine like the boxes that come in. And a shipment of syringes have actually been contaminated. Uh, 
Uh, they weren't packaged properly by uh, the people who made them. And so she tells her boss, these have all got to be destroyed, and we need a new shipment. And her boss says, look, we can't do that. Uh, that would cost the company way too much money. Uh, I need you to look the other way on this one. And so Karen finds herself torn between uh, the, like, the commitment that she has to Jesus and his ethics uh, that, that she shouldn't lie, that she shouldn't cheat, that she shouldn't steal the life of other people, right? Murder is what you call it when you cause someone to die, right? That she shouldn't do that. And yet at the same time, she wants to provide for her family. She wants to provide for her husband who's going to seminary to go preach God's word. Like she could have justified it to herself very easily. Like, well, I'm doing this so that he can eventually like save souls or something, right? But um, this, is the, this is what she's put in front of her. Uh, is this decision. And ultimately, she makes the choice to blow the whistle, uh, to tell the company that was going to get the syringes that her boss was going to go through with it without actually doing the right things. She was fired. Um, Her company fired her on the spot for telling. And uh, luckily, I will say, she got hired by the other company that she, like, blew the whistle to. Um, But she didn't know that that would happen. Um, She took a a leap of faith because she trusted... um, that that's what Jesus was calling her to, that she was doing the right thing. And the reality is that Jesus is calling us to this kind of radical living. Um, When the culture is going to push us, when the bottom line or something else is going to push us to compromise on our faith, that's the kind of time when you're either this kind of seed or you're not. Um, That's the the reality. And it really makes you ask the question, like, would you be willing to lose your job like Karen? Uh, what about the respect of your peers, your parents, siblings, friends, your reputation as being an intelligent person, or, or your moral high ground? Um, another way of asking this same question is really this. What makes you embarrassed about following Jesus? What are the things in the Bible that you say, I really wish that wasn't in there? That makes me uncomfortable. I don't want people to know that I believe that. Um, What's the thing about the Bible that God demands from us that you bristle, that you bristle at? Um, Is it its teaching about homosexuality, marriage, divorce, gender roles, abortion? Like, there's no shortage of passages that probably make us feel very, very uncomfortable about the way that the Bible talks about our lives. Um, And they make us uneasy in our cultural moment. And Jesus is saying, here's the, here's the truth. You can love his grace like this parable, right? You can grow a little bit and get really excited, shoot up uh, about the gospel. Everybody loves Jesus' forgiveness, right? Who doesn't want to be forgiven? Who doesn't want grace? But when we're pressed to it, when we're pressed to his lordship, um, maybe you're like this seed that actually falls on the limestone and can only grow this much and then dies. Um, it's easy to get excited about grace, um, and what it offers us, but like sometimes our obedience, God's lordship, costs us something, and uh, it should cost us something. This is uh, the reality: is if you're if it's not costing you anything, then you're like the seed. Nothing costs; it doesn't cost you anything. Um, and if we're more concerned with being culturally relevant than living biblically, this is us. We're not rooted in the water of life. We're um, we're whisked along with any cultural uh, moment, what it tells us that we ought to believe. Um, and the reality is there's no in-between in following Jesus. Like, this is, this is what he calls us to. 
Either he's Lord in the face of our cultural moment, um, or he's not. He's not your Lord at all. Um, the, I'll say one thing about this too, uh, just so I'm not being misheard. Um, and it's a thing, like, it's, it's important to avoid it. Um, having biblical convictions like this parable is telling us to do uh, in the face of, like, people who might uh, persecute us or misunderstand us or hate us for it, um, it is not licensed to judge other people. Um, part of what we hear this when we, like, when we hear this teaching of, like, yeah, hold fast to commitments, like, yeah, and this culture out here with all their problems, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, that is not the parable that we're hearing. Uh, you having conviction doesn't mean that you're allowed to then like cast judgment on other people. Um, just because like these hot button issues exist doesn't mean that like smugness and pride have a place in the church. Um, the Bible says that you are, uh, you are just as bad off as anybody who commits, you know, the most heinous crime that you think is the hot button issue of the day. Um, that you are no better off than anybody else. Um, the reality is like, if you're here tonight and you're hearing me talk and you're like, I'm offended by the fact that you think some of these things might be sins. Uh, I want to tell you that like, I have no like plan to like judge you. Um, I, I, I'm not any better off than you are in the face of God. Uh, I deserve his condemnation. And, uh, and that means that like, um, I'm in no place to like look down at my nose at you. Um, as far as I'm concerned, we're in the same boat. Uh, but, I have to deal with this passage that Jesus is talking about. And he's saying, like, the reality is uh, he wants us to follow him, uh, even when it's hard, even when uh, maybe things that we don't like about his lordship, he's challenging us to, to believe. Um, so uh, that means, like, that's what it means to be rooted in God's word, is that we don't just cave to whatever um, somebody might think of us. Um, to like like to save our own skins um, from like other people's condemnation. Um, so the reality is, um, if if you're if you're here, uh, the real question to ask all of ourselves, all of ourselves, is is Jesus worth that? Is he beautiful enough uh, for that? Because um, the reality is, for this for this seed, they grow a little bit, right? They don't have a root. The reason they don't have a root is because they don't, they don't really love Jesus. Deep down, they haven't fallen in love with him and said, whatever you ask of me, I'll give you. If you're not there with Jesus, then like forget literally everything I've said up until now. It doesn't matter at all. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't matter what, like, what the Bible says about any sort of sin if you don't know what you think about Jesus. Um, because until you're committed to him, then like, what does it matter? Um, it's, just, it's just like measuring your like goodness versus other people's goodness. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, so I would encourage you to think about that. Uh, yeah, so that's what real mature biblical faith looks like. Um, but uh, Jesus does give us more options for immature uh, faith. Um, look at verse 7. We're going to keep moving. Uh, he continues to describe where else the seed of God's word can be scattered. Uh, look with me at verse 7. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Uh, thorns and the broader category of like harmful weeds, that's kind of what Jesus is implying, um, are also common in biblical Palestine. Uh, some weeds would grow as high as six feet. Um, so some of the reason that they would kill plants around them is because they would shade them, and then the plants that you actually wanted to grow wouldn't grow. Uh, some of the reasons is that they would actually uproot them as their roots became entangled, 
and they would push them out of the soil. Uh, Jesus describes a scenario in which a seed begins growing, um, but as this weed grows up with it, it's snuffed out before it's able to mature. Um, He explains this scenario in verse 14. You can look with me there again as I read it. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Jesus describes someone who hears God's word, and at least for a time, they seem to believe. They go on their way, right? Uh, just as the plant grows up with the thorns around it. For a while, they, they go on their way. They're, they're, they're doing what uh, you would expect them to do. But eventually, just as the weeds overtake this plant, so also the cares and riches and pleasures of life overtake the heart of this person. Instead of leaning into God's love and lordship, this person leans into comfort and ease. Um, They're prioritizing themselves over the life that God has committed to them. Uh, This is our third possible answer to our question tonight. What is the condition of your heart? Uh, Your heart can be comfort-seeking. Your heart can be comfort-seeking. That's our third answer. Um, So to sum up to this point, Jesus has said your heart can be closed, concerned with others, or comfort-seeking. Uh, none of these options are a life of, of fruitful faith, according to Jesus. Um, C.S. Lewis describes this particular, uh, this comfort-seeking life uh, in his essay, The Weight of Glory. Um, I think Calvin may have even referenced this last week, but I'll say it again. Um, it would seem, this is Lewis uh, saying this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Uh, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. Uh, We, we collectively, are far too easily pleased. Uh, This is the heart of one who hears God's word, but ultimately makes their life oriented around their own comfort and pleasure. Uh, They exchange the real comfort like, remember how I said Satan can't uh, tempt you with anything like God can't already offer you? They trade the real comfort that God is offering in the fact that he is completely sovereign and able to take care of you no matter what life throws at you. They trade that comfort for always hedging their bets, right? For always, uh, for always looking out for number one because can God really be trusted to do it? Um, this heart looks like this. It's anxious. It's a very, very anxious heart. Um, because you don't know what's coming the next day. You don't know if God will really take care of you. You don't know. This heart looks like somebody who for a while is growing, right? But then the anxiety of, uh, of you know, how can I get my own pleasure? How can I get what I need overtakes any faith that this person might have? Um, this, is the, this is the third kind of soil. It's, it's, a, battle. it's a battle for our heart, um, and the reality is that like, Jesus is making the claim that like, you can trust him more than you can trust yourself. Um, that's the life of faith. All right. So uh, we've went through three ways that God says, uh, Jesus says they won't work. Um, they're, they're, they're hearts that aren't open to his word and to his lordship. Um, so the question uh, that we come to at the end here is, are we doomed to these heart postures, right? Um, luckily, there's a fourth way. Jesus gives a fourth uh, type of soil Um, that can enjoy a relationship with him. Look with me at verse 8. Jesus continues in his parable about the various soils. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. 
the first thing uh, that we should notice about the soil, the main thing we should notice about the soil um, that we haven't talked about yet is that the seed grew in it. Um, the fact that it grew means that uh, the revelation of our hearts, this thing that is happening like very quickly as Jesus tells the parable, um, is actually a very slow process. It's a process. The seed doesn't just sprout overnight and grow into a fully formed like, plant. Instead, uh, our heart soil takes time to reveal itself. Uh, the point of this parable is not for you, under the sound of my voice tonight, to make a decision about what kind of soil you're going to be. Like, that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that over time, you've got to think long term, what are you like buying into? What are you oriented around, right? That's what I was talking about the heart earlier. Like, that's what he's asking is like, over the long course of your life, what is happening? Um, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, uh, well, let me read the, the other part. So our soil takes time, right, to reveal itself. Um, Jesus is, is saying this too as he unpacks the parable. Look with, it, with me at verse 15. Uh, he says, as for that in the good soil, there are those who hearing the word hold fast, uh, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Did you catch that last part? That they bear fruit with patience? Uh, again, this doesn't happen all at once. Uh, it's a life of struggle. Uh, it's a long life of struggle. And even the Greek word, uh, that word that's translated patience, it can also mean perseverance. Uh, it's, it's a life of perseverance. Uh, you might be here tonight and identify at various times with like all three types of soil. As I've been talking, you're like, oh man, sometimes that's me. Sometimes that's me. Actually, all three. That's uh, it's me sometimes, you know. Um, and the reality is like the parable he's telling is not to get us to think like, are you there right now? But rather, what's the long term? Like, where are you growing? How are you growing? What are you really sinking your, your roots into? Um, you know, in, instead of thinking like right now, what, do you, what type of soil do you want to be? Uh, uh, to quote Eugene Peterson, I'll say it like this. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. I love that quote. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. There will be times when you fall, of course, but this is a life of repentance and faith. Um, you'll notice, like, too, that Jesus never says that you're accepted by him based on the fruit that you bear, right? That's, like, part of why we might think that we're, we've got to figure it out right now is that we're like, well, I don't want Jesus, I don't want to be the wrong kind of soil and not know Jesus. Um, but Jesus doesn't say, like, well, as long as you bear fruit, then you're, you're with me or whatever. Instead, um, you know, like these other soils, instead he's saying um, that the acceptance of God's word, you placing your faith in God and who he is and what he's revealed to you, that that is what's going to bear fruit ultimately, right? When you place your faith in him over a lifetime, over a long time of growing, uh, God is going to plant his truth deep, deep, deep into your soil, into your heart, and that will not fail to bear fruit. God is going to do the work. So this is our fourth uh, possible answer uh, to our question tonight. What is the condition of your heart? Your heart can be convinced of God's goodness. Your heart can be convinced of God's goodness. Uh, instead of being closed, concerned with others' opinions, or comfort-seeking, those were the first uh, three possibilities and the three types of soil, the heart of faith is one that is convinced of God's love for them and his lordship over them. Um, and they act accordingly. Um, I know a guy uh, who has this like really, really amazing Mustang convertible. Uh, I went to high school with him. And uh, every year, 
well, the thing is, like, it's such a great car. He's also just, like, filthy, like, stinking rich. Just, like, just out of this world rich. I don't know how much money he has, but it's definitely more than I'll ever have. And uh, every year his birthday comes around, and it's, like, a struggle to find, like, what kind of, like, his birthday and Christmas comes around. And it's, like, no one knows what to get him. Um, so what he ends up getting is, like, just, like, um, he gets, like, 30 of these a year. He gets gift cards to car washes. Like, I've seen, I've seen his, like, pack. He has, like, a stack of gift cards to gar- car washes. And why does he have this? Because everybody who wants to love him knows he's already got everything he needs, right? Um, there's nothing they can add to his life or to his lifestyle. But what they can do is they can love the thing that he loves, which is to give it a car wash. They can't, like, go up to him and give him a car wash, right? They can't, like, wash his own face or whatever. Like, he can do that himself. But what they can do is love the thing that he loves. That's yeah, a very funny mental image. Like, the wax, you know, he's bald head. Um, he doesn't have a bald head. But, um, like, that's, like, that's the picture that we want of how Jesus is, like, growing in our hearts. Um, that's, that's what it means to be a heart of good soil. It's just directed towards God, not to, like, uh, like you know, a person, this guy that I know. Because um, the reality is, like, we can't add anything to God either, right? You can't, like, give him anything that he hasn't already given you. Um, but you can love what he loves. I um, mean, that's his creation, other people. This is why we love other people and why we want to bear abundant fruit. We want to love God uh, for who he is and what he's done for us. May we all continue in this long obedience in the same direction. Let's pray.